Our text tonight is in Judges chapter 3, but uh, I want to uh, first look at chapter 2 and let's review uh, for a moment. As you know, Joshua and his generation had died, and verse 10 tells us that there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord. They didn't know the Lord, nor yet the works which He had done for Israel. So what did they do? Pretty much everything that the Lord told them not to. Verse 11 of Judges 2, They did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. Verse 12, They forsook the Lord God of their fathers, they followed after other gods, the gods of the people around them, and bowed themselves to them. They provoked the Lord to anger. Verse 13 says that they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtaroth. Again, verse 14, and the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And what did the Lord do? He delivered them into the hands of spoilers robbers, and they robbed them. Now these nations of Canaan that they had taxed were stealing the money right back from them. You know, I've seen godless men and women today who make millions only to have it stolen back from them by accountants and lawyers and other handlers. And at the same time, I've seen the Lord take a little and stretch it a great deal to provide for one of His sheep. This is how the Lord Jesus fed the multitude with just a few loaves and two fish and had more in the end than what they started with. Twelve baskets full. The Lord can do that. And the Lord can put a hole in your basket and cause it to go empty quick. Verse 15, Wherever they went... Whatever they did, they did not prosper in any business they undertook. We, when they went to war, the enemies prevailed because the Lord was against them, it says. But even the Lord was merciful time and time again. Verse 16, nevertheless, regardless of all these things, the Lord raised up judges which delivered them out of the hands of those, those that spoiled them, those that robbed them. And how did Israel respond? Pretty much the way they always did. Verse 17, And yet they would not hearken unto their judges, but they went a-whoring after other gods and bowed themselves unto them. They turned quickly out of the way which their fathers walked in, obeying the commandments of the Lord, but they did not so. But again, the Lord's mercy endures forever. And in verse 18, we read, And when the Lord raised them up judges, then the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge, for it repented the Lord because of their groanings by reason of them that oppressed them and vexed them. And again here, we see the natural depravity of every man and woman in verse 19. And it came to pass... When the judge was dead, that they returned and corrupted themselves more than their fathers in following other gods to serve them and to bow down unto them, they ceased not 
from their own doings, nor from their stubborn way. What a true description of men and women by nature we have in these verses. And I was thinking today as I read these verses again, it's easy to see in others, and yet impossible to see in ourselves apart from a divine revelation from God. Verse 20, And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he said, Because that this people hath transgressed my covenant, which I commanded their fathers, and have not hearkened unto my voice, I also will not henceforth drive out any from before them of the nations which Joshua left when he died. That through them, now look at this, that through them I may prove Israel, whether they will keep the way of the Lord to walk therein as their fathers did keep it or not. Therefore the Lord left those nations without driving them out hastily, and neither delivered he them into the hand of Joshua. And here we have the reason that God left these Canaanite nations among them in verse 22, that through them, their enemies, that's who it's talking about, he said, I may prove Israel. Now, chapter 3, verse 1. Now these are the nations which the Lord left to prove Israel by them, even as many of Israel as had not known all the wars of Canaan, only that the generations of the children of Israel might know to teach them war, at the least such as before knew nothing thereof, namely five lords of the Philistines and all the Canaanites and the Sidonians and the Hivites that dwelt in Mount Lebanon, from Mount Baal Hermon unto the entering of Hamah. And they were to prove Israel by them. There's that word again. To know whether they would hearken unto the commandments of the Lord, which he commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. Now that word prove in this passage means to test, to tempt, to try, to teach, to examine. The English dictionary defines the word prove as to demonstrate the truth of existence of something by evidence or argument, to demonstrate, test, tempt, try, and examine the abilities or courage of one being proved. And you know, the first time the Hebrew word for proved, which is pronounced, I believe, nasal, is used in Genesis 22, verse 1, and it's translated there, tempt. And you know the passage well. And it came to pass after all these things that God did tempt Abraham. And he said unto him, Take now thy son, thy only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Now that was a real trial. And the Lord really proved Abraham in that. And we know that Abraham passed the test. He believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. We're told that three different times in the scriptures. Romans 4.3, Galatians 3.6, and James 2.23. But most every time in the Old Testament that the word proved to try, test, or tempt 
is used. It has to do with Israel obeying the commandments of God. To prove Israel to know what was in their hearts, whether they would keep his commandments. To, uh, David used the, the Hebrew uh, word Nassau in three ways in, in Psalm 26 verse 2. David wrote, examine me, prove me, O Lord, and prove me. That's the second way. And try my reins in my heart. Examine me. Prove me and try me, Lord, to see what's in my heart. Uh, another way it's, it's used is to prove whether they would keep the way of the Lord. Now, the Lord proves us to know whether we'll love our Lord with all our hearts and souls, according to Deuteronomy 13.3. And of course, He knows. He knows everything. But He proves us in order for us to know. He proves to demonstrate the existence of obedience in us. God let these heathen nations, this is what I want you to see, He let them around because of Israel's disobedience. But verse 4 says that it was to prove Israel by them to know whether they would, here it is, hearken unto the commandments of the Lord which He commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. And we see time and time and time again. Uh, from the time Israel left Egypt until they got to the land of promise and then afterwards, time and time again, they disobeyed the commandments of the Lord. And God had time and time again been very clear and very specific about these other gods and these idols. Now I want you to hold your place here and turn back to the... Um, book of Deuteronomy with me, chapter 7. I think it's important that we see these things in our own Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 1. We'll come back to Judges 3. And we know that God knows all things because God ordains all things. But He said here concerning these nations listed in verse 1, He said, if I've given you time to get there, Deuteronomy 7, verse 1. He said, When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land, whither thou goest to possess it. That's where they're at right now in Judges, and we saw in Joshua. And hath cast out many nations before thee, the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than thou. And when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, we know it's the Lord that did it, because He says right there, they're mightier than you are. It had to be the Lord that did it. And when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughter thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. For they will turn away thy son from following me, that they may serve other gods. And so will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly. This is serious, serious business. It still is. 
Verse 5, But thus shall ye deal with them. You shall destroy their altars, break down their images, and cut down their groves, and burn their graven images with fire. Now look down at verse 22 here. And the Lord thy God will put out those nations before thee little by little. Thou mayest not consume them all at once, lest the beast of the field increase upon thee. I thought that was just amazing. The Lord also left these nations around so that that they that he could use them to hunt and kill wild beasts that would be troublesome and distressing to Israel. Isn't that something? God provides with us in ways we have no fathom. We, we can't fathom. And this could also mean that all the slain Canaanites, you know the multitudes that they killed there, they didn't bury each one of them. These slain Canaanites' carcasses would invite the beast, the wild beast of the field, to come out and feed upon them, which also could cause Israel some major distractions and issues. The Lord provides for us in amazing ways, ways that we don't even know. You know, I've often, we've talked about it, but um, I, uh, I, I get upset with the way people drive. And, and I, there's one thing that I really don't like is when somebody pulls out in front of me and then goes like two mile an hour, you know. I'm like, boy, I wish I had a set of forklifts on the front of my car. I, I could do some damage. Well, that's, that's ugly. I shouldn't talk like that. But how many times have you thought about maybe the Lord is, is holding you up to keep you out of an accident or something? The Lord, we just don't know all the ways that the Lord provides for us. God has a purpose for all that He does. And one thing's for sure, whatever the Lord does, it's for the good of His people. That's why we shouldn't get upset about things, David. <laughs> See, I do preach to myself. But the main reason the Lord left these nations round was to prove, test, try, and tempt Israel. Uh, verse uh, 23. Let's see, am I still in... I didn't... Yes, verse 23 here in Deuteronomy. But the Lord thy God shall deliver them unto thee and shall destroy them with a mighty destruction until they be destroyed. And he shall deliver their kings into thy hand and thou shalt destroy their name from under heaven. There shall no man be able to stand before thee until thou hast destroyed them. Now look, verse 25. The graven images of their God shall ye burn with fire. Thou shalt not desire the silver or gold that is on them, nor take it unto thee. Don't melt them down and use the gold, lest thou be snared therein, for it's an abomination to the Lord thy God. Neither shalt thou bring an abomination unto thine house. Don't bring these idols into your house. Lest thou be cursed, a cursed thing like it, but thou shalt utterly detest it, and thou shalt utterly abhor it, for it is a cursed thing. And then we find Israel doing just the opposite. Look, uh, in Deuteronomy, you don't have to turn over there, but in Deuteronomy 12, verse 3, the Lord told Israel, You shall overthrow their altars, you shall break their pillars, you shall burn their groves with fire, and you shall hew down the graven images of their gods and destroy the names of them out of that place. 
But Israel failed at every turn. I hope that we've learned that trials and tribulations are by design. They're by the Lord's design. They're by divine appointment. And they're given to prove what they are designed to prove. And these who the Lord is about to prove, as we know, are a new generation that knew not the Lord nor the works that He had done. Now they'd heard secondhand. Uh, they had heard the stories of the generation before them, just as we've heard stories of the past by our parents. I don't know about you, but my parents walked to school uphill both ways. I'm not sure how they did that. But we, we've all heard the stories about our parents, and many of them are true. My parents lived in the time of the Depression. Things were hard. They went through things that my generation never experienced. But this present generation of Israel was unproven. They hadn't experienced war. They had but few struggles in their life. They hadn't been proven, tempted, or tried. So the Lord's going to prove them. I wonder, have you and I really been proved? Like every generation, the generation before, their mothers and their fathers had suffered that they might enjoy the benefits of that they now had. And we talked about it that last study, I think. It's all of us as parents want better for our children than what we had. And I think we do them a disservice sometimes. But here in Judges chapter 3, verse 2, we're told just that. God let these nations do to their disobedience, but God can and does accomplish His purpose in many ways all at once. The Lord left these nations for this new generation so that He might teach them war. For they knew nothing of such things. Uh, Brother Tim James wrote in his study of this chapter that very little is learned on flowery beds of ease. That's true. And I agree. The Scripture says that we must, through much tribulation, enter the kingdom of God. You're going to be tried. You're going to be tempted. You're going to be proven. And just remember, when you are, it's the Lord doing it. And He's doing it for your good and for His glory. It's God who sends the trouble and the trials. He's the one that preserves us in the trials and in the troubles. It's God who makes us stronger. Um, you know, I heard, I've heard an old saying, I know you've heard it too, that what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Well, I suppose that's true, but it's God who makes us stronger. And it's God who teaches us in the trials and gives us life. And it's all to prove whether we will love and trust Him or not. Verse 5, And the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, Hittites, and Amorites, and Perizzites, and Hivites, and Jebusites. And they took their daughters to be their wives and gave their daughters to their sons and served their gods. Just exactly what God told them not to do. We're messed up. By nature, we're messed up. This new generation in Israel tolerated and accepted the enemy as a way of life. And you know, it is absolutely amazing to me. 
and, and, and my, my, myself included, what men and women by nature can accept as normal anymore. It's incredible what we can get used to, isn't it? Uh, that goes for the world and in religion today. Today, religion desi desires to be appealing to the world. So what does it do? It adopts the ways of the world to, in order to be appealing. I passed by a big church. Many of you passed by it. I won't mention the name. It's a first church, I'll tell you that. And uh, they have a sign out front that uh, advertises um, both traditional and contemporary worship. They have something for everyone. I'm reminded of the words of our Lord who told the Samaritan woman at the well, He said, you worship, you know not what. We have a lot of that today. I have a religious friend who recently asked me to tune into his church's YouTube live broadcast to check out the church's new worship band. It's nothing more than an attempt to appeal to the mass multitudes. And like Israel, professing believers are not coming out and separating themselves from the world. They're conforming to the world and inviting the world and its way into what they call the church. But it's not the Lord's church. It's the world's interpretation of what they want church to be. Over a year or so ago, I, I told you before that I heard someone bragging on their so-called worship service, they said, oh, it was just so full of the Spirit. They said that the Spirit was moving so greatly that they never got around to preaching. There's no worship without true preaching. There's not. I suppose it's just as well because they don't preach the Gospel anyway. But this shows folks' ignorance of true worship. What they do is not true worship. True worship is in spirit and in truth. It's done by and through the preaching of the gospel. And what folks call worship today is nothing but emotionalism and it's nothing but entertainment. And the men of Israel, they, they took Canaan's daughters to be their wives and they gave their daughters to Canaan's sons. And the amazing thing is, they served their gods. And this is why they served other gods. Verse 7, And the children of Israel did sight evil in the sight of the Lord, and here's the reason, and forget the Lord their God. And they served Balaam and the groves. The groves is where they kept all their idols. You know, it's easy, I suppose, to forget one that you never knew. They served a false god. They served the groves. The idols worshipped in groves. And to disobey God is the same as forgetting Him. It really is. There can be no mixture between the true and the false. You can't mix grace and works. It's no more grace or no more works if you do. The gospel becomes another gospel. Now hear me which is not another, but a simply a perversion of the true gospel. In our day and time, we tolerate other religions because true conversion cannot come by threatening or constraining someone to do something against their will. If it could, I would. I'm telling you. I'd stuff the truth in their heads and hearts if I could, but I can't. 
God has to do that. But at the same time, the believer, the child of God, will not tolerate or accept anyone or any religion that attempts to pervert the gospel that they love. I don't have much time to hear men lie on God. I'll be honest with you. I don't have time for it. I'm not going to listen to it. I'm not going to have it. And I know that sometimes I may seem a little extreme and uh, intolerant of modern day religion. I'm, I'm not making any apologies for it because uh, I have loved ones who were deceived and taught to believe a lie and are in hell for doing so. I take false religion personal. I do. And I... As long as God gives me breath, I'm going to preach the gospel and I'm going to expose false religion. I don't want you to believe a lie. And yet at the same time, I'm also aware that if not by the grace of God, that I am what I am and I labor to preach the gospel knowing that woe is unto me if I don't. And yet, if I do all that's required of me, the Lord says that I'm still an unprofitable servant. I'm just doing what I'm required to do. And yet it's not I, but the grace of God which is with me. Amen. And beloved, let's never think that we're exempt ourselves from falling into things that oppose God. If God took His hand off of us for a second, oh, I... I shudder to think what we're capable of in and of ourselves. We've got to be on guard. Adam loved God, but he loved his wife more. And what did that lead to the fall of mankind? Abraham lied about his wife, Sarah, twice to save his own hide. David, a man after God's own heart, committed adultery with another man's wife and then had him murdered. Peter denied the Lord three times. All the disciples fled and scattered from the Lord like sheep in the garden. Some of the church at Galatia fell under the spell of legalism. Many of the Corinthians became followers of men instead of trusting in Christ alone. Some said, well, I'm of, I'm of uh, Paul. And, uh, and others said, oh, I like Apollos. Apollos is my man. Others had confidence in Peter. And all these preachers were nothing but ministers by whom these sinners heard the preaching of Christ. Preachers plant and preachers water and thank God for them, but it's God that gives the increase. Yes. And the sinner's acceptance is in Christ and in Him alone. Verse 8, Therefore, the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and He sold them into the hand. Now you read, this is the longest name in the Bible. And I looked, I, uh, I got some instruction on this. It's Kushan Rishutham, king of Mesopotamia, and the children of Israel served Cushan Rishutham eight years. The warnings of the Lord, they're real. They're real. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. Matthew 7, 6. 
Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Matthew 7, 15. Brother David, salvation can't be as simple as trusting in Christ alone. Surely we've got to do something. Well, I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ. Yes, it is just that simple. The Lord Jesus Christ did for me what I could not do for myself. And because of that, I have His perfect righteousness by Him taking my sin, giving me His perfect righteousness, and I am accepted in the Beloved, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is just that simple. Impossible apart from a divine intervention from God, but it is that simple. Not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Many are going to say, Lord, Lord, but Jesus Christ is not their Lord. For such are false prophets, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the, into the apostles of Christ. Oh, we've got to be on guard. Amen. Be on guard. Now these verses tonight prove God's people in at least three ways. I'll give these to you and I'll, I'll finish. First, again, as we discussed last time, it proves our depravity. Uh, we have an incurable terminal disease. We do. Uh, only the great physician can cure it. We've got serious, serious heart trouble. Every one of us does. The thoughts of our heart are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. There's nothing more deceitful than our hearts. The imagination of the thoughts of the heart are only evil continually. Genesis 6, 5. So the design of being proved here is a test to reveal what we really are. Trials don't make us better. They reveal what we are and they should cause us to cry out for mercy. Amen. They do, every child of God. We do take sides with God against ourselves. Just like that Gentile woman did that we talked about Sunday. He said, it's, it's not right, it's not lawful for me to give the children's bread and give it to dogs. And she said, you're right on that. I'm a dog. But even the dogs get the crumbs that fall from the table of the master. In other words, you're my master. And his crumbs are all I need. I'll take his crumbs any day. Outside of Christ, we are proved to be totally depraved. I've been accused of preaching a negative message, a down message. In the matter of grace, the way up is to go down. And in verse 9, we're given the second thing. And when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer to the children of Israel. Who raised up the deliverer? The Lord raised up a deliverer to the children of Israel. Who delivered them? Even Othniel, Othniel the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. So here we see something of our impotent condition. Our depravity turns our eyes from self to Christ. <laughs> when the Lord showed me that no man can come, no man has the ability to come that he might have life, I, I knew that was true. I had tried all my life 
to come to Christ. I tried to straighten up and follow right. I tried to be a good boy and only to fail time and time again. Just like Israel. Oh, they picture me so well. We cannot deliver ourselves, friends. We cannot save ourselves. We see that our help must come from outside of ourselves. The way down brings us to the feet of Christ. It was when Peter began to sink. He walked on the water. He started looking at the world around him, the waves and the storms, and he began to sink. And what did he cry? Lord, save me. And the Lord reached down His hand for him. <laughs> There's no higher place than at the feet of Christ. The trials that the Lord sends are designed to be mercy for the elect. We see our sin and we repent of our sin. And we say, Lord, I'm a mess. I need your help. I'm a dog. I need your help. I need your crumbs. We see our impotence and we cry to the only one that can help us. And do for us what God requires of us. Which is, by the way, perfection. Trials prove that we are indeed impotent sinners in need of a deliverer, in need of a Savior. And God has provided the deliverer for us, just like He did Israel. Thirdly, these trials prove that we are the people of God because of just that. He sends us a deliverer. He didn't send everyone to deliver. Verse 9, And when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer to the children of Israel, who delivered them, even Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. And look at this, And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged Israel, he fought for Israel, and he went out to war, and the Lord delivered Kushan Rishathim, the king of Mesopotamia, into his hand, and his hand prevailed against Kushan Rishathim. You see, it's God that sends the one with whom the Spirit resides without measure. The Lord said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Othniel, the Lion of God, which is what his name means, as you know from our study. And Joshua. And friends, it's Christ, the line of the tribe of Judah, who delivered us from all our enemies, every single one of them. He's the divine deliverer who saves us from our sins. The appointed trials of the Lord bring us down to bring us up, and it brings us out to bring us in. <laughs> so, if you belong to Christ, you will be proved. You hear me? The next time you being proved, the next time you're a trial and trouble comes your way, the next time you're tempted, remember that. It's the Lord that sent it, and He sent it for your good, and He sent it for His glory. And we've, we must stand and resist the devil. How do we resist the devil? When we, having done all to stand, stand therefore. Keep on standing. Keep on quoting the Word of God. Keep on trusting in Christ. Keep on believing. Keep on keeping on. Ephesians 6.13 Romans 12.2 And be not conformed to this world. That's what happened to Israel. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind 
that you may prove. Prove. What is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? Nothing can separate us from the love of God. But where is that love of God? Which is in Christ Jesus. Got to keep looking to Him. Keep looking to Him. When things get tough, got to look to Him. Keep your eyes upon Him. And it was then that Paul said for us not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought. We, you know what? We are nothing. We have nothing. And we can do nothing to save or deliver ourselves. Has God shown you that? I know He has because that's why you're trusting in the Lord Jesus. Being in Christ and trusting in Him alone will prove in the end to be that good acceptable and perfect will of God. Trust me on that. Trust me on that. That's what this book teaches. That's what this that's what God says in his word. May God be pleased to make it so for his glory, our good, and for Christ's sake. Amen.